Hey everybody, how are you? Listen, this is AJ, executive producer of All Things Dive Media. Um, You are about to listen to a special broadcast, so we are interrupting your normally scheduled podcast to share with you a Dive Media special presentation. Um, It's a roundtable discussion centered around um, the current situation that we have going on in the United States, Um, racial injustice, um, oppression, prejudice, all of the above, and you know we're going to do our best to present it to you from a heavenly perspective. So please sit back, enjoy part one of this roundtable discussion. Uh, Dive Media presents a roundtable, and this is the debut. Thank you for listening. And as always, thank you for supporting us. We live life with our own prejudices. God saying they is, we say that they isn't. How you living? Ooh, now you listen. Can't see the kingdom with these isms. We live life with our own prejudices. God saying they is, we say that they isn't. How you living? How you living? What up, what up, what up, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome, welcome. I know for some of you listening right now, you're like, who is this voice on my airwaves? Well, this is AJ, or some might know me as Amadi, and I am the Grand Poobah. I don't know what what you want to say here. Um, uh, This is a Dive Media special, special presentation. Um, This is going to be a roundtable discussion. Um... And so we have all the hosts from all our shows. For those of you who may listen to certain shows and didn't know, we have other shows. There's a plethora of shows on our site that are relayed, a bunch of podcasts. And so we encourage you, if you listen to one and you hear some things tonight from another host, go check them out and support their show. Um, But with that, you have myself and Eve and A Sizzle uh, from across the intersection. Um, You also got Ragu in here from House to House. We have the ladies from She Works, Shanita, Meg, Akima, and Danita's here. We even have a couple husbands are here. We got Tina, who y'all know from across the intersection, and her husband Marvin is here. Um, we also have Demario, who is Danita's husband. He's with us tonight. And you're, you're going to hear some new voices tonight. So for those of you who don't know, Akima and Mikhail Williams, they are going to be launching a new podcast later on this year entitled HBCU. And it's focused on health for the black community. And so we thought it would be very beneficial and fruitful for you guys to get to hear their voices tonight and also for them to get familiar with the way in which we do things. So that is the crew. If you want to check any of us out, we are everywhere. Podcasts are disseminated. iTunes, Apple, Google Play, Spotify, um, and um all the rest. And our and our podcasts are on divemedia.co. And we even have special guests tonight. So for those of you who frequent our website, you'll know we have a wonderful new podcast on about marriage called About This Love. And so we have the host of About This Love with us as well, the SOG himself. <laughs> Dale Skinner. Dale is with us as well. So we have a plethora of folks with us tonight, everybody. Um, and so we and Dale's um, and his wife Sherelle, they host about this love, which can also be found on divemedia.co, and is also everywhere podcasts are disseminated. 
So again, please go and subscribe to all the podcasts that you hear tonight. Support us all. Um, if you want to support us on Patreon, we have a Patreon page, Patreon slash Dive Media One. Um, so if you have any at, at at all benefited from any of the shows that are on Dive Media, we ask that you know definitely subscribe to what we do and do your best to support us. Tell a friend to tell a friend. But with that being said, what's on hand for tonight? We are going to have a roundtable discussion. Um, if you have been living under a rock then you may not know what we're going to discuss tonight. But for those of you who reside in the United States or, listen, anywhere else in the globe, because this has been popping off everywhere, you guys will know that a gentleman by the name of George Floyd was brutally uh, murdered by law enforcement in Minnesota <clears throat> about a week ago, week and a half ago. And the video, of course, has made the rounds of social media and has even made the rounds of traditional media and, you know, every talking head has, you know, put their thoughts on it. And, you know, like most people, I wanted to react and be emotional and didn't think that was the most healthy way to do that. So we wanted to sit down, have a discussion and be able to point people back to this in the future. Um, so we're going to get through some topics tonight. This is not specifically about George Floyd, but I think that that interaction with Officer Chauvin is a wonderful place to launch into a much richer and deeper conversation all right from the perspective of the most high which is the perspective that most people don't want to hear usually so including me sometimes so with that being said guys and gals ladies and gentlemen wonderful people i want to throw out some topics here so we're going to go through some topics and let's just have this discussion um everybody's not going to agree for those of you who know some of us here go to church some don't you know, some do this, some do that, some live in the DMV, some don't, some are male, some are female. Hey, we're all from different walks of life. Some are women of a certain age, some are not. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, we're, we are all from different walks of life, all right? But we are unified in our goal for maturity. Um, we can be unified in, in our, although we might have different perspectives, we are unified in our goal for maturity. So with that being said, I heard a very interesting quote, and I'm going to throw this out here to everybody to listen, because we, we want to start this discussion off tonight talking about historic and systemic racism. You know, we, we hear that, that term thrown around a lot, and, you know, for good or bad reasons, and we know that it's a very widespread issue, right? And I heard a very, um, it was from a Christian leader, and he said this, and I, I thought it was very profound. It was that we cannot be forgiven for anything that we are not willing to acknowledge, right? You can't repent of something if you're not willing to acknowledge it. And for the number of people who would still, I mean, still in 2020, um, not acknowledge the existence of historic racism as well as systemic. And I like to call them both out because you can't have one without the other. You know, people say it's systemic, but you have to realize it became systemic because it was once historic. All right. It started somewhere. Everything starts somewhere. So what are you guys thoughts on that? What are you guys thoughts on historic racism, systemic racism, the acknowledgement of it and the lack thereof? Like, why would some acknowledge it and why would some not be willing to acknowledge it? 
AJ, I really, I really think that it's important that we discuss, we start off with this because in the midst of what's going on right now, we have a lot of people who ask the question, why is race such a big issue to black people or what's going on? Because they've been living their lives and it seems like all of a sudden there's a big explosion of revolution and protest and rioting and they have no clue the context that they actually live in. Not only that, some people are immigrants and ideally you would immigrate to a place that you've actually studied so that you would understand where you're going, you know? But a lot of people come here for a variety of reasons and one of them is not to know the context of the country that they're coming to. So there are three things that I really encourage people to understand about the context and why America is as it is. The first is that the only reason black people are here is because we were brought over to be slaves. Like we were brought over here specifically for servitude. A lot of times we don't think about that um, because we live in 2020, but that's the reason that we're here. So there were people who actually stole the land and then they needed bodies to work that stolen land. And that has not changed. We've always, that's always been the context for our presence here. And I think sometimes the attitudes of people toward a slave class comes from that. The second thing is that there hasn't been one year of peace since 1619. So it's either been servitude or it's been legalized discrimination, legalized segregation, infiltration, mass incarceration. It's either been one thing or the other. Throughout this whole time, there literally has not been one year of peace in that respect. And then the third thing is that the time that we've been under servitude actually lasted longer than the time that we're living in now. So sometimes people will say, well, why in the world are you guys still talking about this? But when you look at context, you see that we're living sort of in the minority chronologically when it comes to the reason that we were brought here in the first place. Yeah, and I think um, on the specific topic of acknowledgement, um, just bringing in from a a, um, a Christ view, um, if you look at Zacchaeus, right, like with with his uh, whole experience, right, like one of the first things he said that was a part of his process of coming into the faith was that, and if I have defrauded anyone, then I will restore it back to them, you know, by multiples. That was a part of the repentance, acknowledgement, reconciliation, and uh, process. So um, to try to uh, detach uh, that kind of uh, monetary even um, acknowledgement from reconciliation and repentance is to do a disservice to scripture. And so um, it's even from a Christ view, you can't separate the two. And there's biblical support for that. Uh, specifically for the purposes of defrauding people. And slavery um, has certainly been a defrauding of people. And if you're going to talk about restoring unto them the, the years that the locusts have stolen, you know, eaten and the canker worm and the palmer worm, add all of your institutional, systemic, historical devices in place, and those are the canker worm, the palmer worm, et cetera, and there needs to be that restoration. Well, going into the uh, the defrauding, I like how um, you, you put that phrase, going into the defrauding of a civilization and a culture and a people, and ultimately we're talking about the defrauding of a continent of an original people who um, our creator, we're going to look at this conversation from a perspective of a creator that has chosen a people to manifest in a place. Um, we're looking at how that ideology has been one formed um, because we are having this 
conversation in the context of, of spirituality, so to speak. Um, but how many of us have even been able to sit back? And I'll use myself as an example real quick. Um, I grew up, you know, under the, I, I would classify myself as the so-called African-American in terms of my experience here. Um, and religiously, I've grown up um, in a non-denominational, uh, so-called traditional Southern Black style uh, Christian congregation and church, going into youth ministry, choir, you know, all music and all of those things um, are components of this. However, if we look back uh, historically, we'll see that through our struggle that many of us who have opted to try to remain uh, solid and grounded in our foundation that um, spiritually dates back to the Nile Valley regions of Kemet before that land of Africa was even named Egypt by Greeks, um, looking into those practices. But those people have been silenced. We're talking about the history of African radicalism at this point, because radical is a word that has a negative connotation in itself. Anyone who has ever tried to promote the benefit and uphold, uphold the rights and responsibilities of maintaining the continent of Africa has been labeled a radical. And so now when you're looking at politics, religion, education, nutrition, all of these things, when anyone who's speaking against the actual power structure who, um, I guess I would say distribute for lack of better terms, these resources and educational tools and all those kind of structures throughout the world, you'll have some Africans who, or people of African descent who are willing to go into this new assimilated way of life and thinking. And then, I guess this is me answering the question right now, and then you've got another population of us who are kind of sitting back like, mm, there's a little bit more to this that we want to go into intellectually. And we're finding ourselves confused at that very point of the origins of our very own philosophical thinking. What I definitely want to piggyback on what the brother said and my wife said. Well, actually, when you said, like, Marcus Garvey was one of the persons who was radical. You know, he was one of the, the, the first people who wanted to take us back to Africa with the um, black, you know, black line ships. So it's um, far as looking for apology or them acknowledging, we as black people, my, we, don't, we shouldn't really look for an apology from white people. We should open up our own economics. We should build our own for black people and we should build our own Wall Street so we can have checks and balances against all of the police brutality against people like George George Floyd. So when the police act out of line, we should have our own police units to check them when they act out of line. So <clears throat> I want to definitely touch on what both of you brothers just shared, you know, when we get to that part of the discussion in terms of the who is the us and who is the them, because I think that that's a very good, uh, very good point. But I want to kind of stay here um, for the next couple of minutes, because um, when you look at it um, historically and Eve, I, I do appreciate the the way that you always kind of pinpoint things historically. Um, and Mikhail tied it tied to it as well. Because when you think about historically, we were looked at as a as a servant class. So you take people out of their whatever their current cultural situation was, right, from various regions of West Africa, and you bring them all to another part of the planet. 
and you make them. It's like you're creating a new people group almost. You know, it's like you're you're taking a bunch of other things and making a new thing, right? Doesn't matter what you were before, where you were before, who you were before. When you get here, you're now this. And that's that. And you actually tweeted something that was really powerful. Um, I forget the doctor's name, Eva, but you said that that's why it was so important to change things like their name and things like that. I forget the, the doctor's name you quoted on Twitter um, about a week ago. Um, dang, I'm, I'm losing it now. But anyway, culturally, you're looking at me. I know you, you, you tweet so much. No, no, like, that's the problem. <laughs> I have too many tweets out there. That's the problem. But... Um, the the failure for at a macro level, the 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 failure for the nation to at even acknowledge it, right? To acknowledge like acknowledge that it was and that it still is in a different form. I think it hinders any reconciliation. It hinders any kind of change because again, you cannot be forgiven for something that you're not going to repent for, and you're not going to repent for something that you won't even acknowledge. And corporately, the acknowledgement still is like, oh yeah, you know, we we stand for you. It's it's rough out here in these streets, y'all, you know, but all right, I'm gonna go ahead and get back to what I was doing before. Like that's essentially what we're doing. Not like, you know, when you see corporately in scripture where nations are like, yo, God, we're sorry. Like we like we as a nation are like, we don't want that smoke. What do we need to do, right? When, when Jonah gets to Nineveh, right, and he tells him, like, look, this is what's cracking. What happens? The nation is like, whoa, like, our bad, right? Like, that's not yet where this country is. It's kind of like we just want things to be quiet. We don't necessarily want to corporately acknowledge and repent for this thing. And that's kind of, I, I think that's where the, the, the fork in the road is. That's really where the fork in the road is. It's like... You know, like as a and the the example that I can use on a on a smaller level is when you have, let's say your family may have been guilty of a thing and then you become aware of it. Right. You may have to be the one that says, listen, on behalf of my family, I apologize on behalf of my family. I may have to make restitution on behalf of my family, I may have to work to rectify this situation. Even though I may not have been the one who did it, I am the one who's representing my family at this particular juncture, right? But AJ, just on that point, it's not just representing the family at this particular juncture. It is benefiting from what was done. To not acknowledge that, a lot of individuals want to state, oh, well, it wasn't me. That was years ago. But you are living in the benefits of that. It's not that difficult in some cases to look at financial records from institutions to people and understand specifically and quantitatively how you have benefited over the years. And until you're in a position where you're ready to write a check that says this is the accumulated, uh, amortized, whatever benefit that I have quantitatively gotten from what was done, it's not even just representation. You are living in that privilege. Um, so just, you know, wanted to in insert that. Uh, it's, it's not just representative. It's benefiting and, and living in that benefit actively. The common, the common retort to that, Tina, though, is that, you know, that was in the past. Get over yourself. You know, we can't really do anything about that. And so, so I think it's... That. 
And, and, and that's the thing. And, and that's the thing. By you know, there's 14 trillion dollars out there somewhere. 14 trillion dollars, right? Uh, money doesn't disappear, right? And it's not just about money; it's about our inheritance. And I know this isn't a reparations discussion, but what I'm saying is that where's the 14 trillion? Because if we are not benefiting from what our ancestors have had the right to allow us to inherit, right? Because we're we're honoring our ancestors by talking like this. So um, if we don't do that, then then there's somebody else spending the 14 trillion and living off the 14 trillion. It didn't disappear. So I think that people need to acknowledge that instead of saying, uh, you know, stop talking about it. I'm glad you guys made a pin here um, because as I was listening, I, I began to think when we're talking about the systemic racism and um, the history behind it, um, thinking a little, you know, more globally now in current times with, you know, housing discrimination, lending, education, employment, all those things that are still the things that underpin this culture. Um, my question would be, who are we looking for the apology from? And what is truly going to make make restitution? Was it the reparations conversation? Because at the end of the day, now I'm seeing a lot of people on Facebook, you know, some of my um, non-melanated friends, oh, I'm so sorry to all my black friends. And I'm just like, eh, okay. So who who are we actually looking for the acknowledgement from? Is it is it 45? Is it Congress? Is it who? I mean, because the people, the, ran, the randos now who are just popping on Facebook, you know, to all of the, the black people who work with me, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's just kind of, uh, I don't know if that's it either. So what are you, what are you guys thoughts on that? You know, um, I'll say um, real quick, if I could just quote, you know, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King on that point, everyone's always telling black folks in America to get yourselves together, right? Pull yourselves up by y'all's bootstraps. Um, but we fail to intellectually uh, comprehend. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., I believe it was in one of his last speeches, um, said that it is a cruel jest to suggest that a bootless man pull himself up by his own bootstraps. And so let's go into the details like the other sister. I apologize, not remembering the name. Other sister just mentioned um, there's an actual Homestead Act. Let's actually look into the documentation of one, who we need to address, why, and why is it that we find ourselves in the condition that we currently find ourselves in. Um, it wasn't until after the Civil War that we were even able to establish ourselves within a living space as a family and to even document ourselves as family. So what you found coming out of the Civil War um, was Congress, you know, saying, you know, black folks, y'all get y'all's communities together. And it was just like, wait, hold up, wait a minute. We were just allowed to call each other husband and wife, father and son yesterday. Y'all have been doing, y'all have had a head start in pretty much everything that you all do socially. Um, so to answer the question, without going too far into the reparations thing, I believe in the Northwest Hemisphere, um, those of us who have been directly um, affected that we can show, um, and, and clearly we don't have a lot of records of, of our lineage and things of how we specifically got here. But I do believe that the governments that govern uh, what we consider Western civilization owe those of us in this diaspora, in this part of the world, um, 
what we would consider to be reparations and of course what reparations are we would actually have to sit down and discuss um equity and all those kind of things and how that would be distributed so as we you know sort of come around third base here i would say the answer to the question of what we're looking for i think what we're looking for would have to be something corporate um and we're living in that now right who would have thought four months ago that you would have been able to nearly shut this entire country down. I mean, shut it down to the point that they are literally seeing the environment change. I don't know if you guys have been reading, but there have been articles written about how the ozone layer has changed due to the amount of heat that has not been generated by automobiles and by buildings. And so, who you know, because at a corporate level, this nation, this nation said, you know what? We're shutting it down. So schools closing, jobs closing, everything's closing. Go home. We ain't got no money. We don't care. Go home. What are we going to do? I, I don't care. Right? Can't go to funerals. I, I don't care. Can't graduate. We don't care. Everybody go home. There's, there's, there's a thing that happens corporately, right, when leadership begins to make strong decisions. When leadership makes strong decisions and are assured in those decisions, things will change. It may not change immediately or it may change immediately like we see right now, right? Again, if you would have asked us last summer, summer 2019, hey, do y'all think that the government could actually shut this country down? You'd be like, nah, you can't shut down America. There's too much stuff going on. Not America, right? We Americans, you can't shut down America. And COVID said, yeah, I think you can. And so my point in bringing that up is, I think that if at a corporate level, leadership was unified and assured in a decision to say, listen, we aren't sure what needs to be done, but we know something is going to be done and we are going to do something. And they began to move in that direction. Corporately, I think you would see things shift and change. So I don't have that answer, but I believe that it would take those who have the authority because, again, we don't have the authority. Um, It would take those who are in authority to corporately be assured of a decision and then move to make that decision. Go ahead, Danita. Um, I think I think that in terms of repentance and and making things right or apologizing, um, our white brothers and sisters have to deal with with their perspectives on fragility and their almost insistence on the absence of something, even even in, like you said, Shanita, the randoms, you know, posts from people about how horrible this thing is, there is still this underlying um, resistance to the idea that there is a systemic issue. And so um, I don't think that we can jump to repentance without first giving white brothers and sisters the time to deal with this mental health crisis that they've been absolutely involved in for years, you know, it's a, you know, it's a perspective and an approach that because they benefited from it and it's a perspective and an approach in the mentality um, that, that lends to this idea of like, it's not really a problem or that was bad, but there's not a whole big problem. And so repentance is actually adopting a new idea. It's not just feeling bad for something to me. I'm like, dang, that's too bad. Let me write a check, done that's not true repentance because then later on we're going to see fruit that looks like the fruit we've been seeing. Right. So until we can deal with that root system, deal with the actual adoption of a new idea that brings about actual fruit in keeping with repentance, 
then all of the so sorry's in the world are not gonna are not gonna be um they're not gonna stick. That's good. I wanna um ride along with my wife. Hello, how you doing? Um <laughs> <laughs> So I'm connecting the dots together. So right now I've heard we've discussed um, reparations. We've discussed apologies. We've discussed um, repentance. And we've also discussed corporate leadership. The interesting thing about all that is the system that America is, right? We're not, I'm not talking about the skin color of people. I'm not talking about the cult, the different cultures within cultures, within cultures, et cetera. The actual system of America is a system built on let's be divided, but let's also try to figure out how to work together. And like you said, just think a thing about different concepts that Christ talked about. He said a house divided cannot stand. So things like repentance, things like forgiveness, things like reparations right all these things have to eventually evolve into a unity but this is very extreme like we started off talking about radical but how could that ever happen if the very seed of america is we are we are divided we have a federal then we also have local laws so that the state can disagree with the federal you know what i mean if I could just chime and add to that, brother, I think that's a great point. I just wanted to add a little historical context to what you just said on that point, because we've been throwing around the R word of uh, two R words, uh, rep- uh, repair, reparations and um, repentance. Um, there was John Newton. John Newton is a name that's unfamiliar to many black Americans or to many of us um, in the diaspora. John, Rutten, John Newton, excuse me, wrote the song Amazing Grace, which is you know, one of the oldest traditional quote unquote Negro, I'm not calling anybody a Negro, but you know, as they would identify those kind of tunes back then. Um, but I just wanted to, to note that that was his song that he wrote um, as a way to atone for his contributions. And I'm reading this right off the right, screen here right. to atone for his contributions to slavery. And that, that first line goes amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved, saved because now we're going into linguistics and context here that saved a wretch like me and so my concern is that moving forward how much of that philosophy has been indoctrinated and as we black folks sing this song in church every sunday at 11 and you know what i mean do we even understand what we consider to be our own plight and things that we need to hold ourselves accountable for outside of what they've already put on top of us because they've got amazing grace that they need. Right. And um, I think we have to always keep that into context, proper context. So that's a good point, Mikhail. So I want to use that as a, a, a pivot point now because oh, um, I wanted to say something, <laughs> but it's cool. I mean, I, well, it's related to what he just said, so I'm just gonna, oh, we're gonna right. yeah, we're gonna keep going with the same theme because the the next topic I wanted to touch on as we're talking about historic and you know systemic racism, et cetera, et cetera. What part, particularly in this nation, 
we all know it, right? We see the Jerry Falwells of the world, you know, and 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 what have you. But we know that believers played a significant part in the perpetuation of all that we're talking about here, right? We're we're not without blood on our hands, so to speak. Um, and now, you know, trying to play the thoughts and prayers game, you know, which is what many believers try to do, as opposed to realizing. No, we were part of the catalyst, right? Um, there's a scripture in the book of Romans, it's chapter two, um, where it, it states, um, Paul writes that the name of God is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because of you. And he, he's writing it as a rebuke to the, to the believers in, in Rome. And it's a quotation from the book of Isaiah. If you study that particular passage, Isaiah 52 so Paul is actually writing and quoting Isaiah 52 because that was a rebuke of Israel, saying that my name is blasphemed among these Gentiles. My name is dragged all day long because of your behavior. And so now we, you know, as we're talking about historic, you know, the the historic perspective of where um, racial inequity has taken place in this country, and we see at every turn the body of believers who've lived in this country have had the opportunity, right, to to interject heaven. That's what God calls us to do. If I'm there, right, if, if I put my feet on the ground in that situation, then the perspective of heaven should be there. But yet and still, at every turn, corporately, I don't mean individually, because people could always point out to an individual, that one guy did this thing and this one lady did that thing. Yes, of course, of course. But corporately, at a macro level, when you zoom out corporately, at every turn when we had the opportunity, right, to sort of alter the trajectory, we chose to remain silent. You know, to to use, I think, um, Danita's word, we, we chose to remain fragile as opposed to mixing it up and potentially taking some licks, right? Which is what God calls us to do, which is to step in the mix and potentially take some licks, Bars, you like that? Um, <laughs> so, what do you guys think about that? You know, a I know you wanted to jump in. So, what what are you guys' thoughts on the 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 part in which believers played in the perpetuation of this mentality? Um. So, to answer that question directly, uh, I think that the the. I almost feel like the, the the perspective of the position needs to be modified a little bit because I am of I am of the persuasion that um, they the, the people in which that set these mechanism mechanisms in, in place are not believers. Um, I am of the persuasion that the term um, that the term uh, you know and I know this might be a bit a bit offensive or a bit jarring or I might sound like I'm coming out of left field. Um, but I believe that the term Christian is political. Um, it's mentioned once in the in the book of Acts in the New Testament as a pejorative. Um, when Jesus and when the Bible refers to those who follow him, the Bible does not call them Christians. The Bible refers to them as sons, disciples, world priesthood, chosen people, so on and so forth. A myriad of things, a myriad of things, multiple times, but not Christians. Only once in, in the book of Acts as a pejorative. So I just wanted to... Uh, a level set that because um, the 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 founding of the United States, the United States was referred to as the New World, um, and part of 
the creation of the new world was done through something called the Christian doctrine of discovery. And the Christian doctrine of discovery was an agreement that many of the uh, feudal European nations came together, uh, not, uh, they, they came together and they made an agreement that they would essentially, um, essentially colonize, colonize the, the world. And it was basically like finders, keepers, losers, weepers. And um, that was called the Christian doctrine of discovery. And um, so when they came over to uh, the Americas, what we refer to as the Americas, um, they did all kinds of things, but they did it in the name of this man who is seen as innocent and, and beautiful and pure. And this man is who we refer to as Jesus. Um, and uh, that is where we get the essentially the, this, this idea and this popularity of, oh, these people were believers. They weren't believers. Um, they sent out the, they sent out the clergy um, to go along with the conquistadors um, to uh, civilize the savage, but they can only civilize but so much because they, you know, they needed labor. And so um, it was very, very, very political. So um, that's, that's something that I, that, that, that I wanted to say, just to say that, um, well, I really don't think true believers had much to do with it at all. Um, I think that this is uh, very much a uh, heathen practice uh, of of slavery, and um, and it ties back to something that I had wanted to say a little bit earlier that I think a lot of people um, are going to find out about more and more if you don't know about it already. Um, a big issue is that a lot of us as Black people do not know where we come from. Um, we think we know, we have a general idea, but many of us just, just don't know. I know I've done, I've done the research and, um, and that's when I discovered the Negro land map and more and more you all are going, if you don't know the people probably already know about it, but, um, if you don't know now, you know, um, that there is a map called the Negro land map, which is a map of the Western coast of Africa. And you will see on the Negro land map that, um, that there's a kingdom called the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Judah was pillaged and destroyed by the kingdom of the Dahomey uh, in about 1727. And um, the kingdom of Judah, that's right, Judah, the kingdom of Judah, it was a major port of where, uh, of where dark complected people um, were sent off into the Americas. Uh, I'm reading this book right now called uh, Colonial, it's called Africans in Colonial Louisiana and many uh, many, many what we call blacks, uh, although there were people of dark skin that were here in the U.S. Uh, prior to 1619, uh, for the sake of what we're talking about with slaves coming from the West Coast of Africa, many of them, particularly when they came to Louisiana, uh, came through the French. They, would come, they came from the port of Judah. Uh, and uh, many of those uh, people who were sold were sold by... Uh, by, by uh, the Mandingo and the Mandingos are those who practice Islam. Um, and so I just bring all that up uh, to say um, that, that there is, I, I wanna level set a little bit that we have a history and I know we all know it sorta kinda like ephemerally, but um, many of us really, really do uh, have a history that predates us touching down here in the US. And- um, Well, hold and on, because we you, have- you actually bring up a, a very good point um, in one of your earlier statements. And I, I want to ask what everybody else's thoughts were on that. You said that you don't believe that the people who may have, quote unquote, you know, 
perpetuated the Christian faith in this country were believers at all, um, which I think is a very yes. profound statement. Yes. Um, yes. They, well, the, yeah, yes. I'm, what I'm saying is, is that this is what I'm saying. I'm saying that faith in the Messiah is not defined by allegiance to that, to that, that label. Got you. Got you. No, no. Yeah, I'm not saying. Yeah, home. yeah. I'm, 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 I'm not disagreeing with that right. statement. I'm just, I'm just like yeah. it's, it's actually a very profound statement. I wanted to hear if anybody had any other thoughts on that because we would look back and say, okay, well, this great leader was a you know wonderful man of God, and sure. when when people love to say, hey, but you know he owned slaves, right? Mm-hmm. They like a, a lot of cats like to sidestep that when you bring up a lot of these theologians that people love to quote. You like. You know that that dude owned slaves, right? And they're like, well, you know, it's, it's 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 all good, but you know, he did this other great stuff. He was a man of his time, right? Um, <laughs> right. Everybody was doing it, man. Come on, you know what? Why are you tripping? Um, I like to say something. Go oh, ahead, sorry, man. Go ahead. Please. No, no, no. Go, go ahead. Go ahead, man. Please. First, I want to say, hey, when you say if you if you know, then you don't know. When you say that, you gotta say it in a biggie voice first. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> if you don't know now, you know. <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta put that that biggie gutter in it. Um. So that everything is is all interesting. The historical facts is all very interesting. I think if I if I'm connecting all the dots connected to, together correctly, we have to realize that after in the Bible, according to the Bible, after Adam and Eve sinned, interpretation. Most people can't interpretate interpret God correctly. So as the times happen. People interpret according to the times. Like, I love the statement y'all just said. He was a man of his time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go in, back to the Old Testament, Solomon, wisest man ever lived. God gave him all this great wisdom. Brother had how many concubines? Too many for my <laughs> How <liking>. many wives? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And yet, uh, up until he started worshiping other gods, God was still doing his best to use him to the best of his heart. Right. He did. He used David to the best of his heart, you know, um, and you, you, you know, Jesus knows everything. He knew Judas was going to do what he do well long before Judas did what he did. But Jesus still used still used Peter, even though he knew Peter was a was a G. I cut your ear off. Look at me strange, you know, whatever. So I think the part that believers play in it from any type of angle, you have to measure it with. What is the interpretation of the system that they grew up in? Because even in Jesus' time, when he was doing his ministry, he was talking to three, four different groups, all under one supposed Jew, Jew, Judas, Jew, uh, Jewish law. But they had their all political parties, too. So I, I think you, you always have to take into consideration that a lot of you know humanity does not have a great interpretation of God's character. Oh, you guys, y'all, um, y'all are so deep in ahead. here. I'm just gonna be the the regular voice, <laughs> right? For those, because I'm I'm not sure about everybody else listening. But um, when I consider what part do believers play, I'm thinking of current current leaders, current churches that refuse to acknowledge and address the things that go on. You know, they want to just oh, give it to God and give you a bunch of religious jargon right. and pray yeah. it away. That does not work. And so, when I look at this, when I'm when I'm at, when I'm asking myself, what part have believers played? You know, out of the ignorance, um, the lack of awareness, and and the lack of wanting to know more. So, I think if we want to just talk about, you know, not to 
point out anybody's particular beliefs about, you know, what you call it, whether you are Christian, spiritual, disciple, you know, follower of the most high, however you do, right? But when you look at leadership in um, traditional church settings, um, they have failed and they have failed miserably because it is just come on and give me the tithes and offerings and keep the seats, you know, warm so we can keep ministry going, but not really addressing the heart of your congregation. Um, and I know the the current wave is this multicultural. Oh, but my church is multicultural. That's great. Hallelujah. And, and amen. But what <laughs> what does leadership do to counteract, to address, to get in the trenches, to help people heal from all of this stuff that's going on? I appreciate y'all brothers talking. I, was, I just I wanted to bring up something that came up earlier that Tina said about benefiting. And I think that that's why believers aren't talking because it's like they have to reconcile what lines up with the Lord and what they benefit from. And one has to give way to the other. And so for me, the role believers play is like, if you take that stand for the Lord, and we all know that, like when you take a stand for the Lord, even if it's calling somebody out on their stuff, you also run the risk of the repercussions of that. So if that means losing people at your church or losing patrons to your business or losing some of your friendships, it's like, am I willing to speak on behalf of injustice and on behalf of something that we know that does not line up with the heart of the Lord and run the risk of all these other things that we can lose or do we keep silent because we benefit from that? And I just wanted to re-highlight that because I'm like, as a believer, some of the things that are happened does not reconcile with my faith. And I have to speak up because it does not sit well. It doesn't settle well with me. And so, and, I, and yeah, that's I on just, both that, sides, right? That's on both sides. <laughs> hey, listen, that's on <laughs> both sides, but that's not where we are in the conversation. But I just wanted to bring that part back up, guys. No, Keith, yeah. you actually bring up a, a, a very good point because- in order for believers to um, reconcile that point, we have to be willing to then say, all right, well, am I willing to lose potentially lose my 501c3? If I'm in favor of this government reconciling or reorganizing or put any R word, you know, Mikhail, put any R word you want to put in there, right? You know what I mean? I may be in jeopardy of losing some things, Right. Am I willing to go there? Am, am I willing to take it that far? I think that there's a scripture in, in the New Testament, and I forget the address, forgive me, but it says that you are not at the point of resisting sin to the shedding of blood yet. You ain't there yet. Um, and that, you know, th- that's a, that is a, a place that I'm not sure the, the body of believers, as fragile as we are, I I love that word, Danita, as, as fragile as we are, because it's actually a very horrible testimony that believers yeah, are fragile. That, you know, we, we should be the most unfragile people, you know, period. But it's like when you say, oh, what'd you, what'd you say that for? You know what I mean? It's like, you know, we, we got to be willing to, to, to take some licks. So, but you know, I'm sorry, somebody was going to say something. I was going to say, um, I was thinking about, I was thinking about Joseph. I mean, me, me, me and my wife and my son had watched the Joseph movie, and me and my wife had um, actually read read about his life beforehand. And I was thinking to myself, like, um, as as Avery, as you were talking about um, America not being a, a Christian a nation, anyways, from the beginning, I was thinking to myself, but 
the the Christian the Christian or the the the, the believers presence have always been a, a small remnant. It's always there always been there always been only a few who were willing to pay the price with their life. It's never it's never been the it's never been the corporate as a whole. So it's like right. That's why good. would you know like when you, when you were talking about reparations and what do I expect? I don't expect nothing because I mean you think people are gonna you think people are gonna be willing to give up their livelihood that, that they've had for generations to say you know our nation was wrong to black people? No, I don't I don't expect anything. I'm a realist. I don't expect anything, you know, and I mean, when, 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 when I look at the body of believers, I think that something will happen, but it'll, it'll be, it'll be on a small level um, as it relates to like the, the number of people. I don't think it'll be quantity as much as it will be quality. And I think even right now, you know, the Lord is, the Lord is using everything that's happening. Um, I think that God, God is using that. God is, God is, God is, God is in the, in the mix behind behind the scenes, he's using all of this, you know. So I, I feel like t- to bring about a certain righteousness. Um, what you know, I, I'm not I'm not really sure of, but that's you know that's kind of how I had you know what I was thinking, you know, about it. Um, I would like to just I'm a huge context guy, folks. Um, you know, there was a time where even as believers and so-called Christians. One, we weren't even able to um, call ourselves that. These things were illegal. These things were actually illegal. And, um, you know, Christianity, a lot of how we even formulated this concept of how to worship as Black Christians in the Northwest Hemisphere came through rebellion. Again, this radical behavior. We've never not been fighting this. There's never been a point in, in religion and spirituality and education that we have not been fighting this. But when we were here specifically and supposed to be, uh, somebody mentioned it earlier, you know, we, we were brought here to be abused economically. And, um, but there was a text I'd like to draw everybody's attention to that we can all download. And I'm not saying anybody do it right now, but there was an actual text and it's called the religious instruction of the Negroes in the United States by Reverend Charles C. Jones, the religious instruction of the Negroes in the United States. And Charles C. Jones um, created this text because the Africans who were enslaved were seeking to practice uh, spirituality and worship and fellowship and praise and all of these things. And it was leading, the spirit of God lives in us and it was leading us into radical behaviors in thought, speech, and action. So Reverend C.C. Jones had to put this text out here to structure our spirituality. And going into the brother's comment, you know, well, what does the word Christian mean? Well, you know, that didn't really have meaning for us until after this document was given to us. And then we were actually assigned the 11 o'clock hour on Sundays as a way to go out into the field, into the pasture, and to celebrate life and to understand fellowship and our creator and all these things, um, which we, that's why we go to church on Sunday at 11 folks, we still doing it. And um, until we understand the context of even how we, we are, these are privileges, but you know, I got to put privilege in it, but it's privilege for who, you know, when you're structuring how people even draw a concept of what God is and how they should worship and interact with their creator. So, so, so I would, so I would also, I uh, thank you, uh, Makai. 
uh, uh, Mikhail, I, I would also uh, say that, well, what uh, should be done <laughs> in the in the ideal uh, world is for uh, uh, the particular powers that be to get out the way. Um, uh, if you are not necessarily willing to quote unquote cut the uh, historical check, um, then just at least get out the way. Uh, stop stop uh, doing a lot of these uh, backdoor decisions to continually throttle uh, uh, the success or the prosperity uh, of this of this group who you have historically seen as your floor. Uh, so um, what does that mean specifically? Uh, well, let me speak on the whole uh, believer sense. I just, I believe that uh, the issue is uh, the traditionalism of people's, um, people's organizations and their heritage. And they, again, they use uh, the Bible as sort of shield uh, to, 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 uh, as, a, as, a, as a device um, to allow them to be able to do all kinds of things that really have nothing to do um, with the spirit of Christ. And so, um, you have like, uh, 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 there are things in which that people can do such as, um, such as changing the focus of where they put their, their resources or, or their, or their money. Um, much of the resources that our institutions or our churches and our, 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 our um, denominations uh, collect, a lot of that money goes toward the preservation of their real estate. Um, and a lot of that money also, it goes toward um, the, the nation state of Israel. Uh, and that's a, a whole nother conversation. Yep. Um, that that's I've not the true that Israel. Well. I'm just going to say that right there. The nation, but, the, the political nation. Yeah, Israel, yeah. yeah, the, yeah, right. So it's geopolitical. Um, and my view is that there's going to there's gonna have to be a level of, uh, um, of revelation uh, that's going to have to happen to this particular uh, group um, that uh, allows them to be able to kind of see their role in uh, uh, keeping things going as they as they have been. Um, so if they were to take their if they were to take <laughs> change change their priorities uh, from their Sunday sermons, from the Holy Hamster Wheel. Uh, from from all of these traditions that they do, and they utilize they 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 do good things. They do good things, but um, that a lot of times ends up being an excuse to continue to uh, uh, not kind of go back and address the things that have happened um, happened historically. Right, that's a good point. So. Uh, make sure you put them holy hamster wheels away, y'all, too, by the way. Make sure y'all put them joints away. <laughs> so as we're talking about um, political ideology and sort of governmental structure, I wanted to pivot and sort of go into that just a little bit, put our kind of dip our toe in the water. Um, if you go all the way back to ATI, first episode we did, we, we said we're, we're not a political show. <laughs> and then we proceeded to do the exact opposite of that. Um I want to talk about something that really um, I have kind of come to a, a different viewpoint on this probably within the past year or so. Um, I've never um, personally I've voted. I have voted Democrat and Republican throughout my adult life um, 
on the national level as well as on the local level. Um, I might have just pissed some people off just now by saying that, but you know that's just the kind of the way it is. Um, so I've always been willing to participate. I say that say I've been willing to participate in the political process um, and vote and you know research candidates and what have you. Um, and but over the last year. Um, I've been very troubled and I've told my wife this just, you know, with maybe the last six months or so. I said, you know, this is the first election in my adult life that I'm not sure I want to vote at the national level. I'm not sure that I want to participate in the national level. I still think that local politics is very important and I fully intend on engaging at the local level. Um, but I was like at the national level, I'm just not sure if I have a desire to participate. Um, and so and the, I'm, I'm going somewhere with the with the next sort of topic that we're going to discuss, because the reason that my mind is changed on that is because I'm not sure. And we did an episode about this. For those who listen to ATI, you can go back and listen to the episode entitled The Rich White Civil War. Um, I've kind of been in my mind just saying, well, what at the highest levels now we can get into the specifics, but at the core what is the true difference between extreme leftism and extreme right-wingism, right? Which one is worse for people? Is extreme liberalism worse or is extreme conservatism worse? Because I think both, both ideologies have virtue. Both ideologies have value. I can be very conservative as it pertains to the raising of my children, the, the way that I live in my marriage, right? The things that I consume in my eye gate. I can be very conservative in that, but I can be very liberal when it comes to giving. I can be very liberal when it comes to mercy. So you can be both and be neither at the same time. But I think we're in a place now where people are siloed and you have to be one or the other. And I'm not sure that to be one or the other is really a true benefit. And I mean, I think we saw the manifestation of it recently in the Joe Biden interview when he kind of just came out and was like, well, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. So, I mean, what's what's really cracking, oh, homie? God. And it's almost like he let the cat out of the bag, on, you know, by accident. You know, Uncle Joe, he kind of get a little, you know, loose with his lips and say things that they probably say behind closed doors. And somebody was in his ear like, Joe, you shouldn't have said that on, t-, you know, oh, nah, nah, not on camera, Joe. Um, but in actuality, that's probably what is the the stream of thought behind closed doors. Um, so what are you guys thoughts on that? What are you what are your thoughts on liberalism versus conservatism, you know, in terms of the extreme nature, you know, extreme conservatism, extreme liberalism is which one is worse? Which one do we think is 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 worse? I think I will. I want to just jump in and say this really quickly because I know if you don't, if you don't talk fast and on this roundtable, you're gonna lose your spot. So I'm gonna go ahead and I got say, a second. I'm gonna go ahead and say this out. Um, I just wanted to put it out out here on the on the listening waves that um, it is not synonymous the Lord's way with republicanism. I just need to put that out there. Okay, yeah, I just need, I just need to put that out Stay there. Right there. <laughs> um, ni- neither is the Lord's way the Democratic way, and so I think this is where people have to use discernment and judgment on you know what it is you are aligning yourself with. Because my mama was Democrat, so I'm a vote Democrat, or my rich 
very well off to do business owner granddaddy was Republican. So I'm going to be Republican. And I think the, the ignorance sometimes of blindly going into, um, being willing to participate in that political process, but have no clue, um, on either perspectives. And so I just wanted to put that out there that, you know, it's a, there's, there is a narrative that the Republican and Jesus are like peanut butter and jelly. And I just want to make sure uh, for clarity purposes that we understand God is not either, you know, God is not in the political business. And so, you know, his way is not liberals. His way is not um, conservatives. His, his way is his way and his only way. So I just want to put that out there. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with Amadi. Um, I've never been democratic or Republican. I usually just vote for whoever views I agree with at the time. I didn't. I didn't vote last time. I, I didn't. I didn't agree with neither Hillary or Trump. So I, I didn't vote at all. Um, so I mean, I'm just kind of. I'm. I'm. I'm neither. I guess I don't. I don't really care if Republican is saying what I want to hear. Vote. I'm gonna vote for him. If Democrat saying what I want to hear, I'm gonna vote for him. I, I don't care. Gay, straight, man, woman. I don't really care. <laughs> um, well, I think Joe Biden. That was an excellent example, Amadi, that you brought up, because I think that he actually put us in an interesting thinking space <laughs> because we are i mean historically genetically attached and loyal to that color blue and now we're even jumping into symbolism you see a blue donkey i mean you can put a blindfold on some some black folks and we running in that direction um no matter what now <laughs> now we got to start thinking about what were our ancestors trying to tell us a couple years ago because i remember a brother uh by the name of malcolm x who during the speech, powerful speech, the ballot and the bullet, um, identified people such as Joe Biden. And he referred to him as a Dixiecrat. That's D-I-X-I-E-C-R-A-T. A Dixiecrat, and you know, someone says, well, you know, well, what's a Dixiecrat? And, and his response, and I'm quoting, a Dixiecrat is a Democrat. A Dixiecrat is nothing but a Democrat in disguise. And so we're finding, we're having a, it's almost like a political lobotomy taking place right now uh, for black folks, because I don't think we understand the depth of, of how symbolism has destroyed even how we approach this conversation. Well, I think it's two sides of the same coin with liberalism and conservatism and something that, you know, um, Marvin and I talk about is uh, both of them are like an intent is to maintain a certain uh, order and structure. So as long as everybody stays in their place and knows their place and you don't try to come out of your place and step out of your place, then, then you're OK. But anytime you start coming out of your place, meaning you step up into a different economic kind of situation, uh, you start voicing something that's contrary to a particular agenda. You just have to keep things. It's like a status quo, social class structure, largely based on race and economics. And either one of the two, uh, you can have someone that's like, you know, yelling in the streets about, you know, this and that. And, you know, I even see it on like a micro level with some experiences where ultra, ultra liberal, um, you know, really always making sure, let's make sure that, you know, everybody, whatever their sexual preference and choices are treated right and feel welcome, et cetera. But you had no problem like uh, calling me out. I'm the only black this or that. And all of a sudden I'm the one being treated differently from everybody else on the basis of what? 
You know, it's just like, is that a coincidence? And by the way, tell me who is in the governing structure of this board that has something to say about me. Can you please clarify their race? I get a placated generic response of, oh, we believe in um, uh, uh, equal rights and treating everybody. That's not what I asked. I asked what's the race of everybody in this governing board that has a particular issue with me? Because you seem to have all these statements explicitly to talk about with regard to other liberal agenda protected classes. But when I, being the only one, have, an, uh, you seem to have a set of issues with me. So I've seen it in both ways. As long as you stay in your place, nobody has any problem. As long as you go along with the agenda, nobody has a problem. But whether ultra conservative or ultra liberal, you're going to run into issues when you step outside of a predefined uh, structure. Uh I, I'm sorry. I just have to thank you, Tina. Tina, you just everything I was thinking, you said it. I'm so happy. I'm so happy that you said that. Um, I, I heard somebody say one time, and I like using this definition, is that um, uh, <laughs> democracy uh, means supporting the established structure. <laughs> That's all democracy means on that macro level of uh of nationalism and uh i i would say that the reason why we're one of the big reasons why um we're joined at the hip to the whole democratic party is uh because of the political strategies that were put forth in the 60s um when prior to that um uh, most black people were republican if they were anything at all uh and um and so this idea about uh, Democrat versus Republican is uh, it really springs out because a lot of the um, Democrats, in particular, the Democratic strategy uh, is a is a is a strategy of um, of meism, where they try to make these uh, identity appeals, um, and whereas the Republicans they tend to make appeals more on nationality which basically boils down to family, which basically boils down to like one large ethnic group, which we tend to refer to as white. Uh, they refer to as white. And so the Democrats, through pop, through, because they try to position themselves and they, they, they try to curry uh, uh, favor and gather their own um, sense of uh, 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 power, um, they then try to make appeals to groups that tend to side eye <laughs> the um the 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 white quote unquote pa the the white patriarch so to speak um the western european the white western european patriarch and so the democrats tend to try to make appeals to people who feel disenfranchised by that group and the problem with that strategy though is that that whole the enemy of my enemy is my friend approach is that uh <laughs> once you put all these people in a room together just because they're not feeling the quote unquote white man doesn't mean that they all get along. And so now you have, um, now you basically have a whole bunch of people that are, uh, you have a whole bunch of people who still are fine with the way and thing, the way in which like when it comes to, when it comes to black people being on the bottom, they're completely and totally fine with that. They just tend to use, and I'm referring to the Democrats, uh, they just tend to use the blight um, of what has happened to um, the, the, the black man. And of course that's, that includes the black woman um, as an excuse to then 
uh, garner power for their own perceived uh, issues. So um, that is why on both sides and on both accounts, um, us as a quote unquote community, we tend to not benefit uh, as a group at all because we tend to be used as a political, a political football. Can I say something real quick? So this, this is interesting. Um, cause I, based upon some of the topics we've already talked about, the role that believers have done perpetuating things, uh, which, you know, what's worse, liberal, conservative. I think, because we, we even, I even kind of heard it just a moment ago, that, so one, one conversation is that both sides, Republican and Democrats, conservative and liberals, which exists in both parties too, um, can be dominated by white supremacy in itself, white privilege in itself, right? And then you have these other groups, brown, uh, yellow, black, that are then, like you said, make sure y'all just gotta make sure y'all y'all stay in line with the agenda. I think even if, and, and I'm, I'm gonna challenge this, even the, the notion of another agenda, right? The black agenda or black Wall Street, it reminds me of what Dr. King said. He said that white power is dangerous. But then right after that, he also said that black power itself is also dangerous. So what I'm saying to say is that the argument, I don't really think ultimately lands on what color has their agenda. I think the argument is systems, right? Like, like, um, like you said, the agenda, right? So I think at the end of the day, if any agenda, which I would call AKA a system, any system that then puts labels on at the at the base where all we all have human DNA, right? And though yes, my complexion and my DNA might be darker than yours, but at the end of the day, it's chromosomes, it's X's and Y's, right? And that's how God designed it. So the in my ultimately what I'm trying to say is that God had an agenda himself. He had a system himself. And the argument should be about what is the right system. And in that, in God's system, there is no liberal, there is no conservative. God is black and white. It's this way or that way. If you look warm, if you want to be liberal, you want to be conservative, you have your free will, but understand you lose or allow you lose out on a lot of benefits in the system that God established for humanity as a whole. And hopefully that makes sense. So you just listened to the first part of the Dive Media special presentation, the roundtable discussion. Um, be on the lookout for part two dropping next week. Again, this is a special presentation that is going to air across all of our shows this week. So we hope you enjoyed this first part and be on the lookout for part two that will be dropping next week. The Dive Media special presentation regarding racial injustice from from our mature perspective. Thank you. How you living? Ooh, now you listen. Can't see the kingdom with these isms. We live life with our own prejudices. God saying they is, we say that they isn't. How you living? How you living?